Welcome everyone to Goddard in the World podcast. My name is Amanda Faye Laxon and I am your host and I am here today with Nita Sweeney. Nita attended the MFAW program in Port Townsend from 2006 to 2008. She is the award-winning wellness author of the running and mental health memoir, Depression Hates a Moving Target, How Running with My Dog Brought Me Back from the Brink, and co-creator of the writing journal, You Should Be Writing, a journal of inspiration and instruction to keep your pen moving. Nita is a certified meditation leader, mental health advocate, ultra marathoner, and former assistant to writing practice originator, Natalie Goldberg. She lives in central Ohio with her husband, Ed, and their yellow Labrador retriever, Scarlett. Welcome, Nita. Hi, thanks. I'm pretty excited to be here and talk to the guy. Yeah, people. that's awesome. I mean, I'm so excited to have you here. There's so much juice in your bio that I connect with, uh, particularly the connection between meditation and writing um, and Natalie Goldberg. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're coming to us from Ohio, right? From- yes, I'm in Columbus. Uh, I live in Upper Arlington, which is a suburb of Columbus, but it's a smack dab in the middle of the heart-shaped state. Great. Did you grow up in Ohio? I grew up in Licking County. So yeah, it's in Ohio. It's probably 45 minutes northeast of Columbus. I grew up on a farm, although my dad worked for the phone company. He was keeping sack with the phone company. But we had a 50-acre farm, which is a very small farm in Ohio. And we had a few cattle and we had horses and, you know, dogs and lots of stray cats and things like that. But yeah, it was very much, my growing up was very much a farm life. Wow. And did you, did you start writing, uh, meditating at a young age or how did that come into your life? I think I always dreamed about being a writer, but I didn't really know what that meant. Okay. And um, so I wrote poetry and lots of little stories and my first book was mm-hmm. one we did in uh, fourth grade or something like that, which yeah. we bound ourselves. She Shacked the Wild Stallion, which, com- which was completely a knockoff of some other book. I can't even remember what it was. But, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I, you know, I, I didn't, I don't think I knew that my own stories had merit. Right. And so I thought I had to find a real story and, uh, you know, I changed it, but. And then I also was very musical. That was actually much more my focus. I, I had two other focuses. Um, I trained dogs. So okay. I, had, I was a state champion in obedience for two Ooh, years wow. uh, with my little rat terrier, Tony. Aww. And then I, yeah, it was adorable. And then I played the flute. And originally I thought I would go to college in performance flute, but okay. quite frankly, I don't think I was good enough. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't, I think I didn't practice as much as I could have, but I just, there's just some part of it that is talent with music and, Mm. um, and personality, you know, you really have to be driven to go into performance. I probably could have gone into education, but that didn't really interest me. So, um, so those were my kind of things, but writing was always in the background. So when I went to college at first, I went to, and I went to Ohio university first, Ohio University. In, okay. Yeah, Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. Okay. And um, I was in their radio TV program. I don't even know why. My, well, my mother was the, 
My mother was a radio DJ. DJ. She was the drive time oh. DJ of the Christian Voice of Central Ohio, which was oh, wow. a whole. It was a whole crazy story, but we won't go. Okay. That. But okay. Um, but I got to see behind the scenes what it was like to be in a radio station, and that that was fascinating to me. So I went into RT, R, um, RTV is what it was called then. It was Communications College, okay. and. I don't know what happened there, but uh, through a series of different events, I eventually wound up in the journalism school in their magazine huh. writing program. And that was a good fit. So mm. I have a degree in magazine journalism and from the EW Script School of Journalism, which is kind of cool. So I have done some magazine writing. I had a cover piece for Dog Fans, or no, Dog World magazine. And then a, a feature article in Dog Fancy magazine Ooh. before I ended up at Goddard. So okay, um, okay. So that's how um, that's kind of how the writing started. But that didn't. Well, I can let you ask the questions. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, like, myself, but, no, yeah. no, that with um, I mean, journalism and memoir, like it, it is a pretty interesting. Th- there's overlap, but then there's also like difference <laughs> for oh, yes. sure well, ma- with magazine feature writing there's a lot of reporting that goes into it because you're sure. usually writing about other people it's not like personal essays right but the but the ability to capture sensory detail and the ability to tell a story because even in journalism you have to tell a story you can't just say fact 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 and so right. those have served me the, those skills have served me well and the ability to interview people, because mm-hmm. when I was writing my memoir, some things I just didn't remember. And so I had a lot of my own journals. I'm kind of a compulsive journaler. I call it writing okay. practice, but I track yeah. a lot of things. And so I had those to rely on for a lot of detail. But I also checked things out with other people and being okay. able to do that in a kind of a neutral way, stepping back, almost being a reporter as opposed to looking at it as my story. I think that helped inform the book. Yeah, absolutely. With the dog world and dog fancy uh, pieces, uh, what what were the focus of those? Well, the first one, um, <laughs> it's kind of, I, I just have to look because it was, it was such a funny thing. So I had mm-hmm. been thinking I wanted to write an article dog related. I was sort of looking around at any kind of article to write. I had quit practicing law, which was 10 years. We sort of skipped over. But okay. we can come back to that. It's okay. I don't, sure. need to, I don't really need to remember it that much. Um, but uh, um, yeah, I was a partner in a small law firm for, for a while. Okay. And so after I um, actually had a nervous breakdown, that's what happened. And I ended up in, um, you know, checking into the psych hospital to save my life. And mm-hmm. after that, in the years after that, I decided to try to go back to kind of my journalism roots. And I couldn't find a topic that interested me enough because that's part of Mm. my personality problem is that I'm not really, really interested in something. It's really hard for me to write about it. So news reporting is never going to be my thing. Never going (laughs) to be my thing. So um, so I'm in the veterinarian's office with my Uh crazy, at the time I had an American Eskimo dog, Astro. And she was in that case. She was the most adorable (laughs) dog, but she just was, I mean, she would steal the toothpaste off the counter. We had to keep like all the doors closed and she just was an, you know, by this time she was four or five. Oh. I'm, in the, I'm in the veterinarian's office and I had just seen an article about Prozac for pets. This was, oh, wow. Gosh, this would okay. have been maybe 1995, 1996. Okay. Okay. And I had just seen, you know, in some major magazine. 
And so I kind of jokingly asked the veterinarian, do you think she needs Prozac? And he laughed. And then he said, no, but she might need Ritalin. And I thought, oh. you're kidding. And so he explained how um, it's, it's kind of a weird story, but that how breeders, if they have a dog that meets all the physical specs, but is highly anxious or mm-hmm. the dogs get ADHD too. And so they're having difficulty training them. Or sometimes they get really aggressive, but otherwise they're a really good dog, especially if they have to do, you know, shows and things like that where they're right. um, under stress. They will prescribe tiny doggy doses of Ritalin. And it has, in fact, it saved some dogs' lives because they, wow. they would be so aggressive just because they couldn't deal. I mean, the dog sure. couldn't deal. And so um, so I thought that that's a topic. And so my yeah. first um the working title was Ralph on Ritalin because I wrote about an imaginary dog named Ralph. Uh, I think the title in Dog World was Drug Calms Hyperkinetic Canines or something like that. You know, they do their thing with it. And right. so that was my first. And that was a that was a feature article for them. And uh, um, and then uh, for Dog Fancy, I wrote a breed profile of the American Eskimo dog. So oh, those wow. are probably my two biggest you know, magazine features in those big articles. Oh, big, big man. Magazines. That's <laughs> wild. It's so interesting. Like you have mentioned a couple of different, or like we, we together have mentioned a couple of different breeds of dogs um, in just in the 10 minutes that we've been talking. What, because some people, I, I think some people concentrate on, or like they just always gravitate towards certain breeds right? Like, you know, throughout their lives. What, what made you, I don't know if pick (laughs) or do they pick you? Like, how does that work? So the American Eskimo, Uh my partner at the time just fell in love with that breed. And so this was before Ed, when I was in my twenties. And so Mm -hmm. we had two American Eskimo dogs and they're so adorable, but they're just, they're just very high energy dogs. And neither one of us had, I don't know, really the time to train them in the way that they need to. And they weren't, the terriers are still crazy high energy dogs. I had, I had rat terriers and golden retriever. I had a golden retriever when I was growing up. Those were the two dogs. When we had a lot of, you know, um, Samoyed, we had a whole bunch of different breeds of dogs when I was growing up and Mm -hmm. uh, a few mutts, I think, but you know, mostly the terriers. That's the one we had. And they okay. were actually very trainable, but you okay. know, but that took a lot of time. Whereas mm-hmm. the American Eskimos, they, the ones we had anyway, did not want to be trained. They just oh, wow. did not. <laughs> it was oh, the terrier. Crazy. They were very interested in pleasing you. And if you kept them busy, I mean, if I could kept Tony busy, boy, he was just, he would do anything I wanted as long as I reinforced him and, you know, kept him doing things. He just needed a job. Whereas the American Eskimos, <laughs> they just want to run in circles. So, oh, um, but then uh, my partner at that time also wanted a black lab. And so we got a black lab and, okay. and in the divorce, if you will, it wasn't, you know, rational divorce. I got one of the American Eskimos and one and the black lab. Okay. And, and so after that, after those dogs went to the great dog park in the sky, we ended up with a golden retriever that was mm-hmm. sort of a rescue somebody was going to turn into the shelter. And so we took him and he had a bunch of health problems and didn't live very long, but he was a gorgeous dog. Bodie was his name. And then after that, 
Ed, my, the, by then I was married to my husband and uh-huh. he had really liked Maxine was the black lab's name. And she just, had, okay. she was just such a sweet, sweet dog. And so he said, what about a yellow lab? So we started looking for rescues for yellow lab. And okay. that's how we ended up with Morgan. Who's the dog in the book, oh. uh, Mr. Dog. Yeah. That's he, he was, he, he came to us. I don't know. He was probably a year old when we, he had been found running loose on the streets, but he looked like a yellow. I mean, he looked like a purebred yellow. His ears are a little short, but other than that, you could not ever tell he wasn't a purebred yellow lab. And uh-huh. I mean, we don't actually know. We didn't get him DNA tested, mm-hmm. but he came completely housebroken. All of his obese. I mean, he was, com- he, I, I still say somebody was ugly crying over losing that dog, but we, you oh. know, we did all the things. We put up signs. We, they did the notices everywhere, trying to find his people. And, uh, and we, I mean, I would have been heartbroken, but if somebody had come and said, this is our dog, but he wasn't shipped. He hadn't been uh, neutered. He hadn't, you know, he hadn't had any of the, he didn't have a collar on when they found him. So I don't know, but, um, but yeah. And then after he, I mean, I hate to say it, but yeah, after he went to the great dog park in the sky, then <laughs> I feel like I'm just going on now, but this really is a great story. Okay. So yeah. Morgan died on a Monday. He had okay. been, he'd had congestive heart failure. He lived, I think he was 15, which is very old. Oh, wow. Lab. Okay. Yeah. He, uh, he, you know, last couple of years were not, he was very frail, but he was happy. And so he died on Monday and on Wednesday morning, Mm-hmm. We got up and my husband said, man, the house is just so quiet because we hadn't not had a dog. I mean, we'd yeah. always had kind of overlapping dogs. And and I said, yeah, I said, it really is. I said, I think we'll either get used to it or we'll get another dog. And I had <laughs> thought about rescuing an older dog and you know, all this kind of stuff. And so at that time, I would go and write. It was actually a grocery store, had a community room on the second floor that was just huge. It was before the oh, wow. pandemic. and he texted me a picture. He said, I need your help. And he texted me a picture of him holding a puppy. (laughs) And he had gone to the bookstore. Okay. Okay. Well, guess what retail outlet is next to? And I said, you are not at that retail outlet that Mm. sells puppy mill dogs, are you? And right. he had no idea. He just didn't have any dog background. He didn't sure. know the history. And by then, he'd been playing with this dog for almost an hour. Mm. <laughs> and so, you know, what was I going to say? No, you can't have the puppy? Well, that's probably what I should have said. But no, that's <laughs> what. Uh, so I, I drove over there. And on the drive over, I called my sister. Mm-hmm. So funny because we were talking about sisters before we started recording. Right. And. I said, I think we're going to get a puppy. A puppy? Yes. Because <laughs> oh. Ed had never raised a puppy. I hadn't had a puppy in years. Wow. And and uh, as we hung up, she said to me, her name is Scarlet. And that's oh. um, uh, Scarlet and Gray are the Ohio State University colors. And okay, my sister okay. and I are both big um, OSU fans. I'm, I'm a third generation um, OSU graduate. And Oh, wow. Yeah, she is too. So, um, and my brother and my niece and my nephew, you know, <laughs> like oh my families. goodness. Yeah, my yeah, parents. Yeah. Um, so, uh, she said her name is Scarlett. So, yeah, that's Aww. a very long answer to a short question, but no, it's a circuitous that's great. route. Um, that's great. But I have to say, the labs for running are fantastic. They're very calm, they stay. 
I don't, I don't live in an area where I feel safe letting her run loose. So she's on, okay. you know, she, but she's been very trainable as far as running, chewing things, not so much, but, um, she's like the, she's much more like that Astro, the American Eskimo brush. She'll steal the toothpaste off the counter. She, that's her. <laughs> and she's four now. So oh, she's four. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. So is she full grown? By now? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's, she's probably, she's at least an adult and might be headed toward middle age and she's still oh stealing. She just has a streak and she's reminds me so much of Astro. She just has this streak of every once in a while she'll get in, I call it a snit and she'll just <laughs> try to find something. And, and it, she, because time will pass before she's does one of these things will kind of be lulled into this false sense of security. And then next thing I know, you know, she's got Ed's wallet and she's Oh no. Yeah, one time she chewed up four twenties, but there were enough pieces that um we were able to put them back together and take them to the bank. And after they stopped laughing, they gave us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But she'll you know she'll just what it's just random stuff. She'll just grab it and you get we can now we know that there'll be like a quiet sound and then this where she's running across the house and there's this one rug, this round rug where she goes to eat whatever she's just stolen. <laughs> so, so like, there she goes, grab it. Oh, quick. that's so funny. Socks and Morgan, Morgan never stole stuff? You could leave plates of food on a coffee table wow. and leave the room and that dog, he would be staring at you and staring at the food and maybe drooling a little, yes. but he wouldn't take anything. Wow. He was he, uh, he was too good for this world, I swear. Yeah. Yeah, was we miss he, him a lot. I'm sure. Where was he found? In your uh, area? Or yeah, yeah, he yeah? was found near the intersection of uh, 270 and 70, which are two major freeways. And oh my goodness. yeah, he was like on the free, you know, in the freeway, which how oh did he no. get there? Yeah. yeah. My mother was always convinced that he got out of somebody, you know, that somebody stopped their car and he hopped right. out, but I don't think, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like why would someone stop on the side of it? Yeah, just, I, it was just very weird. That's what the, that's what the, um, uh, people who found him, it's the, uh, humane, the, is it the, I guess it's the dog shelter, um, yeah. Franklin County dog shelter found him. And that's what they said was just that it was the oddest thing to find this dog just walking along the highway. So yeah, near this major intersection. I mean, you know, like a cloverleaf. We're talking about this. Right. Big. So did he, yeah. um, d how long did they think he had been out? Not very long. He'd been in okay. a fight. So he had a, I mean, he'd been out long enough to that. So he'd been, you know, somehow he found his way. He must've gone down an entrance ramp or something. But um, mm -hmm. that he'd been in some kind of fight, so he hadn't just dumped out of the car, um, right? And because uh, his one ear was always like kind of scraped up, mm -hmm. and so they had cleaned him up, but uh, they don't really know. And he wasn't yeah. at the shelter very long. They he had kennel cough, and so they took him out of the shelter and put him into another facility so that he didn't, you know, they didn't put him in the shelter with the other dogs because kennel cough is very contagious. Oh, okay. So they took him out and put him in another, they have different veterinarians that will house dogs that are technically in the pound, but they're at the kennel. So we had, I mean, we had a friend who worked at the pound and she was kind of keeping an eye out for us. And I would go down and look and, you know, we, we'd gone to a bunch of rescue places 
before we, because Bodhi had died. I guess we didn't have a dog from when Bodhi had died, but we were looking for a dog right away as soon as, we, you know, as, soon as yeah. Bodhi had died. He had, yeah. And so that's, you know, we got the call that, hey, there's this lab that looks like a yellow lab. How about check him out? So they actually brought the dog, the veterinarian actually brought the dog to our house. And it was supposed uh-huh. to be just a kind of a trial visit. And so she stayed maybe 15 minutes and said, well, we'll just leave him for a couple hours and see how it goes. And we just called her and told her not to bother coming back. <laughs> and then we pulled out the paper. He just was, I mean, just was a good, good dog. Aww, so good. That's amazing. So um, Morgan is the dog that is in your memoir. Yeah, is, he's my co-star. He's your co-star. Is the memoir something that you started when you were at Goddard? or what I actually you didn't. Uh, okay. My project at Goddard was a memoir about the last year my father was alive. Oh, wow. I had had the nervous breakdown that led me to quit practicing law. Okay. And led me to get on medication, which I had desperately needed, but had resisted. Mm. And therapy and all the mental health tools that now I can't believe I lived without for so many years. Sure. And six months after that, so instead of me being this busy, high-powered, go, 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 go attorney, I'm sitting at home going, what the heck am I going to do with my life? And we get the call that my father has cancer and it's in his bones. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was, uh, they gave him, I think they gave him, I don't know, nine months or something. They had lived in Arizona, but they still owned a farm here in Ohio and they would come back in the summer. So they came back and all he wanted to do was play golf. So he and I played golf all that last summer. We played at least once a week, sometimes more often. I would drive out there. We would play in these crappy goat pasture little, I shouldn't say that. They're probably fine golf courses, but they, (laughs) no, I was used to, as a partner in a law firm, we had access to some major golf courses, we would take our clients and these very well-groomed, you know, so we'd go out to these little, um, little, little golf courses and they were just fine. And it didn't matter because it was about being together. Yeah. And so I wrote about that summer and then after he could no longer play golf physically, he, we could still, he could still travel with. So he and my mom and I went to Yellowstone, which was kind of his, you know, bucket list thing. You wanted to see sure. the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone. We've never been there. So okay. we did that. And then shortly after that, he was in a cancer treatment center for a little while, but it was clear he wasn't going to get better. Uh, and they had told him that from the beginning, but, you know, toward the end, he, I, he just had to try, which I understand that completely. And then he and my mom came and lived with my husband and I, when it was clear oh, he wow. was going to die because he, the idea of, you know, dealing with the body in Arizona when the whole family is in Ohio. Um, So he came here and they lived with us. And so it's sort of about, um, I was not exactly estranged from my father, but he was a very stern man. And, and it, uh, and even though he, I always knew he loved me, there was this tension where I never felt good enough, never felt like I lived up to his Mm -hmm. his asking standards and just, it just that. And so the healing of that was the real story was what happened. And of course his cancer journey. Um, so yeah, I took that, I had written, I had written several drafts of that before. And I took that to Goddard and what I had was a bunch of pieces 
Right. So I didn't really have a storyline because I it would jump around in time. And at Goddard, um, Amy Liu was my advisor twice, and then Victoria Nelson was one one of my advisors. And um, what was my like I had four advisors anyway. I guess Amy Lou was just the main person because she ended up being my dissertation advisor too, my last uh, okay. semester. So <clears throat> she really helped me figure out how to put those pieces together again to tell a story, but with it with jumping around in time because that's what's hard is where you're in yeah. this moment here and then you have to jump back ten years and then you're right. back to this moment. So she helped me figure out what pieces went where and and uh, um, so that was my. MFA thesis. And Hmm. it was a powerful experience at Goddard. Um, Yeah. um, Well, and the other thing that happened while I was at Goddard, which is actually in the book, Depression Hates Moving Target, was the year 2007. So it was the middle of my graduate year. A whole bunch of people died, uh, starting with my niece, my 24-year-old niece, my sister's only child, died of cancer. And then other people died. And then my father-in-law died. Some husband's father died. Mm. Um, my niece's father died. They were, my sister was divorced from him, but you know, he died. Right. My niece's cat died. What? My, um, mother's boyfriend died. <laughs> my mother's best friend died. And then in December, my mother died. Oh. So two months before so the month I had to go to Goddard for my, I forget which semester it was, my niece had just died. And then by the following year, my mother had died and all those people in between. So oh Goddard God. is, it's funny, Goddard is a bit of a blur just because that year was so yeah. awful. It was just, yeah. it was just so bad. So um, I um, was grateful for the support they gave me emotionally there were just people there on staff that would just be there for me. And, you know, I, it's the uh, Port Townsend campus. So it was kind of a tiny little group, very tight knit. And, mm-hmm. um, and that was pretty helpful. I, yeah, I don't know much about the Port Townsend campus. Like, so how was it, uh, you know, in the midst of all, the, like we, uh, a lot of us uh, who went to the, to the Plainfield campus talk about like who are low residency talk about how it was, it was nice to go to this kind of Shangri-La or Brigadoon or whatever, (laughs) um, you know, like every semester, but then come home and live our own lives and do our work at home um, because it helped us incorporate our work into our lives, um, into our personal lives. Um, but with, yeah, with, with such, um, turmoil, <laughs> how was that like experience for you with Port Townsend? And uh, cause that's not close to you either. <laughs> no, no, I feel yeah. I'm uh, Port Townsend in uh, the state of Washington. It's right on the Olympic Peninsula. So in some ways it was not hard at all. In mm-hmm. the years before that, I had been going four times a year to Taos. Okay. To be um, the assistant to Natalie Goldberg, um, okay. who's an author. She, her, the b- book most people know of hers is Writing Down the Bones, but she's actually yes. written 15 books, 16 books. Right. And so I was used to hopping on a plane and being gone for 10 days, two weeks, 
at a time four times a year. So that actually didn't feel that much different. And there were ups and downs with that, you know, as life just happens. But yeah, it was definitely hard to leave my sister because it when especially my my niece was sick already when I started Goddard. But yet it was also kind of a respite because I could get, you know, how the the days are so busy. I mean, I think that's a great thing about the great thing about the low residency experience is that it, it really mimics the writer's life because you have these very intense periods where you're dealing with an editor or you're dealing with a copy editor or marketing people, you very intense experience. And then you go home and you're by yourself or you're, you know, shut off that call and then you're by yourself and you have to do the work. You have to figure out how to do the work in between and self-motivated and do it. And you have these constant deadlines. So that, that was really helpful. But I could go there and kind of shut everything else off and really compartmentalize and just be in the writing community. Now, having said that, one of the things that was a little different for me is that I I didn't, I still, my mental health still wasn't really great. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I didn't participate in a lot of the things I could have that I kind of wish I had. Some of the salons in the evening, I wish I had done more of those. Just a few things like that, gone to more of the readings. I I went to a lot of things, but I would be so tired between my mental health issues and just grief. I would just be so tired. So a lot of times I would just go to my room and that was fine. And also because Port Townsend is so beautiful, it's Mm -hmm. right there on Admiral. It's the place where Admiralty Inlet and the Strait of Juan de Fuca meet. That's the, uh, that's Port Townsend is at that corner. And so the water, there's a big beach and a lighthouse and there's all these, I don't know if they call they're not mountains, but there's hills you can kind of climb and then overlook. It's, I forget if it's the inlet or the strait at that point. I think it's the strait. So it's beautiful. The nature is just beautiful. It's this big part. Of it. And Fort Warden was, a, of course, was a military encampment. It was a, you know, so it's these big old Victorian houses with way high ceilings and giant windows and very airy. And, um, um, yeah, so it, it was comforting. And then, and then they brought in, you know, Dorothy Allison, they bring in these great speakers and, um, uh, I'm, I'm blocking on some of them, but they bring in these great speakers. And so you could go and just be immersed in the craft and the life and the community of writers. And then also in the summer, um, residency, it was always the same week as the Port Townsend Writers Conference. Oh, wow. So you had the opportunity, Chris, we're, you know, your, your own schedule is already jam packed, but you have the opportunity to attend a lot of the uh, Port Townsend Writers Conference events too. And so talk about a rich experience. It was, yeah. it was pretty amazing. So between the, the landscape being so beautiful, the community challenging, but very supportive also. And then this other community of very professional and well-known authors that they brought in. Um, Walter Mosley, that was the other one that was okay. uh, Dorothy Allison and Walter Mosley were the two that were there in the summer oh, semester. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it was, I mean, talk about nourishing. It really, mm. really was challenging, very challenging, but nourishing. Mm. That's lovely. You were the assistant 
to Natalie Goldberg prior to yes, being yeah, at Bonner. Right. So I took my, after my dad died, my dad died in 1986. And after okay. he died, I was sort of one of those wake up moments where you go, what do I want to do? And yeah. I had heard, I'd been, you know, I'd read, I'd actually read Bones when I was still practicing law and was using writing practice to write legal briefs because oh, wow. the process is the same. It was just about dropping the editor and, you know, I'd do all the research. So I had all the information. I just needed to get the editor out of the way so I could put it together. And um, so I decided to go to Taos and take one of her workshops at the time she was teaching at Mabel Dodge Lujan House in Taos, New Mexico. Okay. And oh my gosh. Talk about, um, I mean, it was, I don't even have to describe it. It's because it's, it's not, those weren't now, now she does much more silent retreats. So these were, we call them the talking workshops. After she started doing the talent ones, silent ones, we started referring to these as the talking ones. Right. It was, you know, 60, 65 people, mostly women, mostly my age or older who were there because they wanted to write. And we'd write in our spiral notebooks. She'd break us into small groups and we'd write. She would, we'd have assigned readings and we would discuss those books. And she, and she discusses books in a very different way, um, mm. a much more organic way than because she has an MA in great works, but she doesn't have an MFA and she doesn't really okay. study the craft of writing. She does, She's very intuitive. And so mm. it's a completely different way to kind of look at writing. And mm. um, so I went that time and then I wanted to go back in the winter and then I wanted to go back the following summer. And so I think at my third workshop, I came home and I said to Ed something about, I really just want to move there so I can just take all of her workshops for a couple of years. Oh, wow. And I, I kind of, I mean, part of me was very serious, but part of me thought he would just go, no way. Um, but he was, he had had a business that was grant funded. And okay. he was at a place where he was either going to have to get a job or redo all his grants because they were all in mm -hmm. they, they're like for a particular period of time. And he hadn't, they didn't overlap. So um, he was either going to have to rewrite all his grants and hope that he got them or get a job. Um, uh, he's a CPA and okay. he's actually, well, he's, he, that's his training, but he's actually a CFO, a chief okay. financial officer. So, okay. uh, or director of finance. So, so he said, sure, why not? And, you know, we put the house up on the market and I thought it would take a while to sell it. It sold in 24 hours, 48 hours. Our house sold. And so, so next thing I know, we're back on a plane to Taos to try to find a house. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you got uh, it. Yeah. So, and that was the funniest thing though, that this story is actually in Depression Hates Moving Target, but we flew to, flew to Taos to look for houses and okay. we're at the realtor's office. We've made an offer on a house and we're at the realtor's office waiting to hear back from the seller. And next door is a copy place. Remember that? I guess they still yeah. have them, but we, you know, like a copy. We go make Xerox copies, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and who should pull up? But Natalie. Wow. And of course, I had not told her. I mean, I wow. wasn't her assistant yet. I right. was just taking her workshops. And she kind of goes, Nita, what are you <laughs> doing here? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I said, We're moving here. We're moving here. And you know, she didn't back away, but you could tell. <laughs> I definitely have had a stalker vibe, I'm sure. Oh, that's um, so funny. And uh, I'm not sure she even remembers that, but uh, yeah. But she's what she said was, okay, we should have, all right, how long are you going to be here? And then she met us at the library the next day to just talk about Taos. 
And I oh. think she really tried. And by then, I think we were in contract with the house, but I think she really tried to dissuade us. Oh, really? Because, yeah, because Taos is a tiny, remote mm. town in northern New Mexico. Um, and the population is primarily Hispanic. And they're Spaniards that have been there for 400 years. So it's not like they're mean or anything, but you know, it's a very insular community. They're all mm. uh, families that have just been there forever. And so you're going to feel like an outsider. And mm. I was very used to being an Ohioan. I'm from Ohio. I'm, you know, kind sure. of an insider. Um, so she taught, she just told us a few stories and tried to dissuade us. And we kind of went, Oh, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> so then the next time I, well, actually, I think before that, I think the third time I had gone, she had approached me and asked me if I would just help out. And mostly what I did was people who have not done a lot of writing practice before they get to her workshops, you can go really deep and people freak out. And so she would notice when somebody was freaking out and she'd say, I want you to go talk to Nita and maybe the two of you can do some writing practice together. And so I would just go and then I would kind of hold space in the class. I would sit toward the back of the class and just sort of hold space. And then eventually I started doing the initial lecture where um, you go over the rules of writing practice Mm -hmm. at the very beginning and maybe lead the sitting groups. A lot of times she would have sitting groups or walking groups, sitting practice and walking practice while she was interviewing individual people. So she'd have, by interviewing, I mean, they would meet with the teacher. That's what they call it in Zen. As oh, okay. And um, um, so she would be having the meetings with individual students. They're small groups, usually four or five people. And so the small group would go and I would take over the class and hold the space and ring the bell and, you know, instruct people on walking meditation during that. And mm-hmm. so that's what I did with her for, from... I don't know, 1998 until about 2005, 1996, actually, I think, because I, because I'd gone to my first workshop with her yeah. pretty early on. It was pretty early on. She asked me for help. She kind of figured out because she knew I'd been meditating for many, many years. Okay. And, um, and I'd been doing writing practice for many, many years. Mm. And so even though I hadn't been to a lot of her workshops, she's just a, she reads people really well. She's very intuitive. And she knew that I was kind of no nonsense and people wouldn't, I mean, I hate to say this, but people try, but they just, people get out of hand <laughs> at these workshops. They go to Taos and they think, oh, party, you know, and yeah. she knew I would be able to keep the, keep the vibe down. So, uh-huh. so I did that oh. for many years. Oh, yeah. that's so interesting. The, your meditation practice, like, has that been, so you said you've been meditating for many years prior to, mm-hmm. to this. Uh, how did that start? I think it actually started very naturally when I was young. I okay. spent a lot of time alone in the woods mm-hmm. and um, I wasn't completely daydreaming, but I would get be very focused and sort of notice my surroundings and be very present. But I didn't know that at the time. And then when I, I don't remember, I'm sure I heard about meditation, but when I was dating Ed, the guy who would eventually become mm-hmm. my husband of now 28 years, something like that. Oh. <laughs> um, in 1992, he said something like, you want to sit? And mm-hmm. I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so he set the microwave timer for five minutes. Okay. And he said, just 
sit still, just try not to fidget. And if you can focus on your breath, that's great. But mostly just sit still, close your eyes and try not to fidget. So that was my first meditation instruction was try not to fidget. And he was, he had been studying with John Dido Lori at uh, Mount Tripper at Zen Mountain Monastery in Mount Mm -hmm. Tripper, New York. He had originally lived in, he'd lived in New Jersey before he's from California, but he lived in New Jersey before we met. And then he had taken a job in Ohio, which was how we met. And he, um, we just met through some friends here, new guy in town <laughs> and excuse me. And so I kind of just did it. Cause I liked this guy. He was interesting and it, you know, I kind of wasn't really, it was kind of scary. I think a little bit, it was just sort of weird. And he seemed like a, you know, just, he seemed like it's really calm guy. And I yeah. thought, okay, so he's really calm. That's good. I'm not. So, um, <laughs> so eventually through groups that he was involved in, in Columbus, he got, he found people in Columbus that were meditators and he hadn't been in Ohio very long at all before he connected with the meditation community. And, um, we found a man named Shinzen Yang, who actually, he lived in Vermont for a while. Now he, okay. he lives in Tucson now, but uh, he's from California also. And we just started listening to back then they were cassette tapes. We had a hundred sure. of these guys, cassette tapes. And we just listened to our, them in our car and they were Dharma talks. They were just lectures and then okay. question and answer. And so we would, and I was still working at the time. And so I was driving all over the state. Um, we were road lawyers. We would go to the client because they were counties and townships and municipal, you know, little entities all over the state of Ohio. And uh, so I listened to these Dharma talks while I was driving and, and so I sort of got immersed in mm. the meditation practice and the philosophy very quickly in the Shinzen Young style. And then we started going to retreats. And then eventually we started our own, very quickly, actually, we started our own group called Mindfulness Meditation of Columbus. And we, that group continued until probably 2001 or 2002. And wow. when we left, we moved to Taos in 1997, I think. Right. And, um, yeah. And so the mindfulness meditation in Columbus went from, I don't know, 1992 till 1997 with us sort of leading. And we would bring teachers from all different disciplines, primarily mindfulness and Vipassana mm-hmm. insight meditation. We'd bring like Bhante Gunaratana, who's a famous Zen or a, a, a Theravada monk. We brought him in and Jacqueline Mandel. We brought, you know, just different teachers in Marcia Rose. Um, and they would do these weekend retreats. And it was, it was pretty wonderful. It was a lot of work, but, but it was, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have a day job. Ed was working, but, um, you know, we pulled this all together and at these little retreat centers. And so it just became what we did. And then that's part of what brought me back to Natalie. You know, I'd been doing okay. writing practice, but her, she's a Zen. Um, right. I, I think she's a Zen priest actually, although she doesn't say that she has a she has the rakasu, which is means you've taken the vows, but okay. Um, but I think she actually became a, a Zen priest. And that is writing practices based on meditation. I mean, it really is. That's how she created it, is from the meditation practice. It's a practice. And mm. that's what attracted me to it. And I feel like the the time I spent with her and the years I've done writing practice has created this solid foundation. I mean, I get, I get crazy. I get neurotic, all of that kind of stuff, but I can always come back to practice 
with it, whether it's writing or meditation or now running. I've been running for 10 years and it feels very much like a practice too. So, so yeah. And then, um, in the pan- during the pandemic, I had wanted to take this class, this actually training, it's 200 hour meditation leader training with Sage mm. Institute okay. in Taos. And they went virtual, completely virtual because of the sure. pandemic. And so it was seemed like a perfect time to take it. So I took it and uh, got my certification last May, which is just, you know, a couple months ago. Oh. And uh, such a great deep dive into just the, you know, world of Buddhism and meditation in general. Uh, mm-hmm. But a great, uh, Sean Murphy is a, a Zen master who leads the, leads the courses. And then um, his wife, Tanya is on the board and then Mirabai Star is also on the board. And there's a, you know, a lot of kind of um, really, really wonderful people that are involved in it. Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. That's, it was that's, a lot of work. I, yeah. you know, I, I think there was part of me that thought, oh, yeah, they'll just rubber stamp what I already know. No, 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 no. That's not the Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's not like how that works. It's very, very much like graduate school. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So you you lead, uh, you have you have a couple of different like Facebook groups um, the, that are around mindfulness and writing. Um, and we're going to link to all of those in the show notes. And you talk about running as a practice as well. So how did the Facebook groups come about? How, how did your actual memoir come about? Like, let's, let's talk about all of that. So the, the memoir, I'll start with that because that was probably the first thing. Great. I write a book every year in November. For National oh, Novel Writing Month. Okay, for NaNoWriMo, <laughs> the great. Only, the only year I haven't, I did it, I did it one, actually, that's not true. So the book about my dad, the the very, yes. very crappy first draft of that was in 2004. That was my first NaNoWriMo. And then okay. I took a couple years off. And then in 2008, when I graduated from Goddard, I I can't even remember, I wanted something fun. I think I wrote a romance or something like that. But every year yeah. in November since 2008, excuse me, I have participated in that. Just to, That's you know, awesome. it's just fun and it's very supportive. I mean, they have uh, young writers programs. NaNoWriMo does a lot of really cool yeah. stuff beyond just, just the writing of uh, you know, your own work. So I had written when I started running, I had written a little bit about it, but once I ran my first half marathon mm-hmm. and especially really early on, because the, the running came out of, out of a, um, sort of a, a bleak period that happened after graduate school. So everybody okay. died in 2007, right. but graduate school kind of pulled me through, you know, cause yeah. I had to keep showing up for that. And then, um, and then I spent some time trying to pitch that book and wasn't successful and I just needed something different. It just felt like, like nothing was going well. I didn't have graduate school anymore. I hadn't, I wasn't, studying with Natalie. I wasn't assisting her. I just didn't know what to do. And I was very, very blue. I gained a whole bunch of weight. I was always kind of up and down weight wise, but I really gained a ton of weight in graduate school and afterwards. And then one day I was sitting on the sofa with my laptop and a high school friend posted, call me crazy, but this running is getting to be fun. And I thought (laughs) she has lost her mind. Uh-huh. She was the same age, or trying to be a year older than I am, about the same size, not, you know, I mean, we both rode horses. I remember that in high school, but 
but not particularly athletic, definitely not track and field or cross country. Uh And so I started watching her and watching her posts. Mm -hmm. And eventually I checked it out and it was this program called Couch to 5K. And all I remember seeing, it said a whole bunch of other stuff too, but all I remember seeing when I looked at it was 60 seconds of jogging. Okay. And I thought, exactly. Okay. That feels manageable. Yeah. Yeah. I can do it for 60 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And I could see that she was feeling good and she was, you know, Yeah. and there have been times in my life that I had been more physically active. I'd really dropped away from that. Um, And I knew that that had always helped me feel better. So I leashed up the dog, Morgan, as a decoy Mm. and (laughs) walked him down to this hidden ravine where I'd actually do Instagram videos now down in the ravine. Same ravine. And because there's, because there's, there are these long lots. And so nobody can see you there. It's suburban, but there are these long, because there's floodplain down there where the the creek runs through. And uh, so, um, you know, nobody could see me. I took a digital kitchen timer, one of those little square white digital Uh kitchen timers, set it for 60 seconds. And stood there until the dog finally got up and peed on a bush. Like, what are we doing here? You know? And uh, and I jogged for sixty seconds, mm-hmm. and I didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I you know, then I walked. I think it's like I think you jog for sixty seconds, maybe walk for thirty or walk for ninety. It has a, it's an interval training, is what it is. Okay. Okay. So that's how it started. So that wow. kind of I got into that plan, that training plan. And what happened, and I didn't tell anybody, I didn't tell my husband because I was afraid, you know, I was afraid this would turn into another mini trampoline, you know, aerobic. It would be the, another thing I had abandoned or the treadmill with the clothes all over it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't tell him, but what happened was eventually people started noticing that I was a little different. I had more energy. And I okay. used to have to take a nap every single day. I just about, about by one in the afternoon, I, that was just, I was done. And um, I didn't have to take a nap. So I started noticing and people started asking me. In fact, they would ask me like, did you get new glasses? Mm. Did you cut your hair? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Are you trying different makeup? I mean, they would ask me these weird things. Are right. you, and I was losing weight. I could lose some weight. You know, yeah. My good, good friends would ask me that. And then eventually I told my husband. And so when NaNoWriMo came around, at first, I didn't. I think that first year I didn't write about it. But then the next year, after I'd run a half marathon, uh, I realized there might be a story here. And I thought the story was middle-aged woman takes up running. Okay. In the following year, as I continued working on the book, continued running, and eventually I did run uh, my first marathon in 2012. I realized the book is middle-aged woman trying to save her life. Because mm. I was able to get off many of, I'm still taking some medication, but I was able to get off a ton of the medications, which I realized in hindsight wow. were messing with my focus, making it difficult for me to have any energy. I mean, I needed them. They kept me alive. But, um, but what happened was they, I started having side effects from having too much medication mm. and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally, my, my uh, psychiatrist said, I think you don't need, I think we need to taper you off because I think that's what's going on is that you're having, you know, you're on, you're reacting as if you were on much more and you're not. So now right. I'm only on one, I'm on one medication. So, wow. um, so but that's Amazing. what the book came about was figuring out that there was a story. And then once I figured that out, 
and realized it was a mental health story, I thought, I think this one will sell. And I'd already been through trying to sell the other one. I'd gone to a bunch of conferences about how to pitch agents. I'd taken a workshop about, there's some uh, great workshops. My friends, uh, Tanya and Sean and Taos teach um, a marketing class. It's like marketing for writers who hate marketing or something like that. Sure. And it's about, you know, writing a proposal and query letters and synopsis and all that kind of stuff and, and uh, how to really pitch your book um, a strong way. And um, yeah. And then in August of 20, it's so funny because I just got another book contract on August 23rd of 2021. Okay. And on August 23rd of 2018, Ooh. the same woman, Brenda Knight, um, emailed me and said, yes, we want to move forward and um, and publish your book. So that wow. was my first book. Yeah. But it was the same day. So next That's year. That's so interesting. Yeah. But remind me next year on August 23rd, I think I need to play the lottery or something. So. I know. I know. I think you need to. Well, you need to like post something like, <laughs> like, uh, it's like your good luck day or something. Yes, definitely yeah. something. That's amazing. Or, you know, that Brenda Knight's circadian rhythm. <laughs> she is very positive on August 25th. Yes, yes, yes. It might, it's, it's always, you know, uh, five days, it's five days before my birthday because uh, we're recording oh, this in August. And, yes. and, uh, um, it was that tw- the 23rd would be five days before my birthday. So, yeah. That's incredible. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. So, um, you, you got the book contract August 23rd, 2018. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was published the following year. Yeah. May yeah. of 2019. It was already mm-hmm. written. It needed a, you know, they wanted it tightened a lot. And so we did that work, but it had it, with a memoir, you, it's much more like writing. It's like, it's much more like pitching a novel. Right. The, while the, um, because it's nonfiction, the topic is very important, but the writing is as important as the topic with a memoir. Excuse me. Mm. Unlike other nonfiction books, the writing is still important, but it's not the main focus. It's more the content with a nonfiction book. So. Right, right. So your writing practice and uh, mindfulness uh, Facebook groups, how did mm. those come about? Well, that was part of the marketing plan. Okay. Really. That was really part of the marketing plan because what was happening is um, Facebook, gotta love it or hate it. I have an author page and Uh on that author page, I post a lot of, I post my articles, but I post a lot of other people's articles about mental health, about dogs, about meditation, about running. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I don't want to, you know, flood my own personal page. So I have an author page, but Facebook changed the algorithms, making it very, very difficult for you to be seen without paying for ads. Yep. Now, um, (laughs) so I decided I I sort of have these two different audiences. Hmm. Um, The mind, mood and movement group is Hmm. the mental health, well-being, um, any kind of exercise and unicorns group. <laughs> okay. We have to have unicorns because it's my group and I like unicorns. So there I you have go. unicorns. That's yes. yeah. Um, but mind, mood, and movement. And it's and the unicorn is sort of a, a it came from uh, this tiny Buddha thing I saw about um, you know, I don't it says something like I don't hide my weirdness, I let it shine so that I can find the other weirdos like me. I'm I'm sure I misquoted that, but that's the unicorn. So so I post memes and articles. And then three times a week, I 
Um, so I haven't actually done it in the last couple of weeks because I've gotten really crazy busy, but I post a writing practice, like a little tiny essay about writing practice. I post a little tiny essay about movement practice and then a little uh, tiny essay about meditation practice. Mm. So there, there's a lot of overlap in those three, but those are the three things I try to do that Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then like wow. on Friday, we have Feature Friday. So if you've got a book or you've got a business you want to promote or you've got a product you love, somebody else's, you you know, I put Feature Friday, put your links here, and then people drop all kinds of links in the comments. And then wow. about once a week, I post a unicorn, just <laughs> something. You know, I'll see somebody will send me an article about a, a unicorn um, bird feeder or a unicorn... Oh, sprinkler, you know, and then the writing practice group, it's called the writer's mind grew out of a class that Natalie taught Mm -hmm. last year during the pandemic during 2020. She taught a very intensive online class with, I think there were 2000 people in it. And so that group has a Facebook group. Um, I think it's, I can't remember the name of it. It's not right. It's not bones. It's some other name. Um, Shambhala created that group and there's no moderators or anything. So there were some people that knew, cause I've been teaching writing practice. When, when I moved back from, from Taos to Ohio, uh-huh. um, after three years, Natalie said, I've taught you what I know, go teach. And so I've been teaching writing practice um, oh, since then. So, yeah. but people want to know, how do you take writing practice and create books? Yeah. And so the Facebook group, that arose from her class was very much about pure writing practice, you know, just that. So I created this group, the writer's mind, that's more focused on kind of the business and publishing end of it, but with a writing practice feel. So okay. it has that same mind. And then once a week, I, pr- I will um, uh, write a little essay about writing practice and, you know what it means because so mind moon movement the writing practice posts there are more about writing practice as a kind of fulfillment tool or even an enlightenment tool you know more Mm. of a spiritual and personal mental health kind of uh well-being tool whereas in the writer's mind it's more about how to take writing practice and create things from it Mm. so that's the difference that's, that's why, and that's why there's two different groups. Too, yeah, that makes sense. The orientation yeah. is different. Um, yeah, and then, but the other thing I have, which I started long before that, which is actually more important, is my email newsletter. I have an okay. email newsletter called Nita's News mm-hmm. that I I uh, send out to my list twice a month, and there's a freebie book on my website called Three Ways to Heal Your Mind mm-hmm. that um, you can it's a free download. So you, there's you can either download that and get on the email list, or you can just sign up straight away if you don't want the book. But the idea there was to just be able to stay in touch with people. Um, Mm. Because now Facebook is throttling groups. Yes. And so you're seeing fewer posts in groups. And so I really need to get people if they're interested in what I'm doing, if they're not fine, go elsewhere. That's totally fine with me. Um, but if they are interested in what I'm doing, my books, my work, my philosophy, yep. um, uh, then the email newsletter is the best way to really stay in touch. Because I send that out, like I said, twice a month. And there's also links to all the other things. So it's mm-hmm. easy to get every place from that newsletter. Mm. 
this is a ton of work <laughs> that you yeah, are it's doing. A it's, it's a yeah. full-time job and it's, yeah. it's a lot of behind the scenes, you know, yeah. I have to say, um, as much as I enjoyed Goddard, yeah. the MFA programs, I mean, I, I think that some MFA programs do, but Goddard yeah. didn't really prepare me for the reality of book marketing. Right. And the truth is you can do as little or as much as you want. Yeah. Some people just choose one thing. I tend to be kind of everywhere because it's I'm kind of a you know drinking from a high fire hose. My the experience of being with me is sort of like drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a tasty liquid, but it's still coming at you a thousand yeah. miles an hour. So hilarious. Uh, so yeah, but uh, um, yeah. But yeah, it's a lot of work. It is. It's a lot of work, and it's uh, and I have to be really careful to guard my writing time so that I'm yep. not just doing marketing twenty four seven and have yep. no because you need that inner. You need yes. that inner space, that inner Absolutely. Um, to do the writing. Right. Because you need to be, especially with uh, creative nonfiction, like you need to be able to be, to have that, uh, you already said it, inner space, <laughs> like, like yeah. but um, to be able to uh, access that for yourself. Um, and then, yes, maybe like it, it'll, some of it will get turned into something else for the outside. But like, if, if you don't have that time to like write without thinking about how it's going to be perceived. Yes. Then yes. You lose a friend it. of mine said yeah. that she has to, she can't think of it as a product. She yeah. cannot think of it as a product or yeah. she is just paralyzed. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the, that's kind of the weird thing, especially with writing nonfiction, is you write the proposal first. Right. So you have to think about it as a product first. And that can be really challenging. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that I wrote, that I spent all that time, many, many years working on two different memoirs before yep. I had to write a proposal about yep. either one. And uh, so this, this new book that's going to come out next year, mm -hmm. I had to write the proposal. But it's much more of a nonfiction um they used to call it self-help, but now it's, okay. and it's, it's about meditation, which isn't actually self-help anyway, which is kind of a joke in Buddhism. It's like, you come there for self-help and then you realize there is no self. So, <laughs> uh, but, um, so it's a wellness book because that's the category okay. to be in, well-being, well, wellness, self-care. But to do that, to think about the market, to think about, okay, who's going to read this and yeah. what are the comparable titles and, you know, all right, of that stuff is right. there. That, yeah. That's the hardest part for me is that writing a proposal, it really is. And once I get into it, it's not that bad. It's just the idea of having to think about the competition and yep. narrow myself to an audience and, you know, all that kind of stuff, which you have to do if you're writing. I mean, you can't write for everybody or you're not really writing for anybody. So yes. um, it has to... Yes have an audience. So, yeah. And I'm sure you had to do that when like many years ago, when you were pitching journalism articles, um, like for the, for the dog fancy dog world, right? Like you have to right. think about there. The thing about those is that the articles are so much shorter of and course. so you can kind of hold it in your head yeah. all at once. Whereas with a book, yeah. you know, stepping back, you can hold it in your head, but it's, it's just a little different, but yeah, it was, I had a similar, I had a similar issue. I yeah. just, and I have a hard time with the business end of, which, I mean, people, uh, my, I don't know who was said this, but like you keep, she, she said to me, she said, Nita, you keep saying that you have trouble with the business end of things. 
but then look at you. You're like everywhere doing yeah. this. Yeah. So, um, I think yeah. it's it's just like a completely different mindset. Yeah. That that yeah. you that you bring to the business part, but you but you do market yourself quite well. <laughs> Thank you. So, Thanks. That, so, I, yeah. I have to say that I um went one of the classes that I took with uh, Tanya Cassell and Sean Murphy on um because they're writers in addition to being editors. Okay. Um on marketing, Sean especially talked about leaning into your creativity with the marketing, thinking of mm. the ways you could be creative because because you have to come up with you know, a tagline for your book and a synopsis and that, you know, basically you write your own Amazon page, even if you Mm -hmm. have a publisher, they're going to ask you for help writing that Amazon page. And so to, to, to take that creative energy, he said, the energy is the same. So if you can get the, um, kind of the business stigma out of your head and just think about it as a creative endeavor, um, that really helps. And then you you try a bunch of stuff and find the one that, feels like it's the best fit. And that actually worked really well. Um, when you said that, it really helped me click. And I have to yeah. say that going, I went to amazing conference in Texas. This was, I think this was before I went to Goddard. It's the Writers League of Texas. I think it's called as the organization, but they okay. have an agents and editors conference in the summer every year. And it is, it's sort of a, it's kind of as much as you want or as little as you want. So you can just go and sort of watch but I actually went in one of their pitch training sessions and okay. they put you, they get, they tell you how to write the pitch and then they give you time to write it up. And then you come back and then in small groups, you practice pitching in just little tiny groups, not to agent, to other authors. And then eventually you have an appointment toward the end of the weekend with an agent or editor where you do that pitch. And mm-hmm. that model really, really helped me be a lot less afraid of the whole pitching process. And most of, you know, the books, the books I've sold so far, I've pitched through email. So it's not near, um, I pitched through email. So it's not nearly as daunting as, you know, staring at somebody. Hi, like me. Will you like me? (laughs) Yeah. Like little three-year-old comes out at me. Oh man. (laughs) But you, you know, you learn how to, I mean, I was a lawyer, so I kind of know how to, how to put on the show. But oh my right. gosh, because it's different with your writing. It's very different with your writing. Oh, sure. Especially with your like memoir writing. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. like me and like my story. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, and my interpretation, because that's the interesting thing. I know I, 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 I do what they tell you not to do. And I actually do read the reviews on Goodreads sure. and Amazon. And, um, and the interesting thing is that, a lot of people really, really, really can relate. And those, I get five-star reviews, you know, and sometimes I get the four, um, maybe they didn't like my writing style or I was too repetitive, things like that. But then every once in a while, I get this one or two star and, and it's always somebody who doesn't have mental health issues or doesn't know oh, somebody who does. I mean, I th- I'm sure that's what it is because they're, it's their tolerance for being with someone who is in the throes of a mental health crisis, which is what that book's about. It's about Mm. me coming out of a mental health crisis and continuing. I mean, I'm not cured. I still have anxiety and knock on wood or some wood. I haven't had a panic attack in a while, but you know, I still have all that and I get depressed and I'm bipolar. I mean, that's not going to go away. That's me. Right. So, um, so it's kind of interesting. It's a, a little easier to take 
um, the reviews when you realize, yeah, it's just, it's finding the right audience. You know? sure. that's what sure. I just think that's not my reader. That, yeah. that person's just not my reader. That's yeah, it. absolutely. And I don't think there's one writer in the world who can write for every single person in the world. No. <laughs> so, and if they could, then it wouldn't be very interesting. <laughs> so. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about the, the new book, the one that you, I mean, what, whatever you can. Um, yeah, yeah, I can tell you. Um, so the working title is Make Every Move a Meditation. Okay. Mindful Movement for Mental Health and Well-Being. And the, we'll probably stick with the same title. Sometimes they change the subtitle sure. after they see the book to make sure it reflects what the book really is. And also, you know, they're always doing search engine optimization for Google and they're business people. Their publishers are business people. They got to sell yeah. books. So they're trying to do all that stuff. So I, they, um, they'll have me give them a bunch of subtitle options and then we'll come up with something that we can both agree on. Their Mango Publishing is the group that Mango Publishing Group. Um, has published all of my books so far and they'll publish this one also. They have been wonderful for me to work with. And um, I'm just really grateful, especially to Brenda Knight. um, She's the associate publisher now. I call her my editor, but she's really the associate publisher. Um, So that's the book. And the idea is, you know, we hear when you think about moving meditation, Mm -hmm. you think about yoga or maybe Tai Chi or Qigong. And my thinking is, why not make walking your dog a meditation? Mm. That Zumba class you love, you're probably already meditating and don't even know it. And so Mm. let's talk about what that is. Um, Because there's just a lot of misunderstanding as to what, especially mindfulness practice is, where you're in your body, present in the moment, and allowing your experience to flow, not pushing or pulling on your experience. And then there's a lot of freedom from suffering that comes from being able to do that. And I believe it's the reason people run long distances. I believe it's the reason people do challenging sports is that they're trying to create that kind of um, place where kind of the world drops away. The world, you know, you're just totally present and the individual personality even drops away. And so um, this is going to be a very Buddhist book, but without any, lingo. It won't have a lot of, you know, no Sanskrit or Pali or, I mean, there might be a a few words, but they'll be very well defined. Um, so that's my, my idea. And that's what they, they saw a sample chapter and a table of contents and my comp titles and they liked it. And so we're going to move forward. So fall of 2022, watch for it. Fall of 2022. Yeah. And and you can follow me on all of my, your favorite. But really the email email list, that's the way to, to find out what's happening next. Yeah, but, uh, but if, you know, if you like social media, I have been. I have to say, I used to be really, really into it. I still post a lot. I have, you know, I interact. Anybody uh, comments, I interact with them. I'm very, very. Um, I just love that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but on my personal page, I'm trying to be on there less and less, just because it's so. It's just. I it just doesn't feel like it's good for my head. Yeah, and um, and plus, I have a lot. You know, I have a lot to do. So, um, um, so really the email is the best way mm-hmm. to, to stay in touch. That's great. That's great. I have taken Facebook and Instagram and uh, Twitter off my phone. <laughs> like, yes. I can still access, you know, I'm, I'm, I didn't delete my account. Like I can still access them on the computer, but it was just 
becoming so much of a habit, a mm-hmm. non mind like unmindful. I don't know what the opposite yeah, of mindful well, is. <laughs> I have to use even on my computer. I have to use an app. I use mm-hmm. an app called Freedom. I think there's a couple oh. of different ones, oh. but I schedule the yeah. time that I am allowed yeah. to be on social media that makes or this green screen. Come, if I try to access Facebook um, uh, during my working hours, yeah. a green screen comes up that says, you are free from this. Oh, oh I, I actually <laughs> love that way of oh, it is, yeah. saying yeah. it. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it's very positive. Right it's called now. freedom. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you, you are free from this right now. You yeah. can do other things. Or you're, oh. I mean, they even say you're free to do other things right now. Oh. And uh, so I have it blocked. Um, I do have it on my phone, but I tend to be on my computer much more than my phone. But right. yeah, I'd be working on something. I mean, typing away, working on something. And the next thing I know, I'd have been on Facebook for 45 minutes. I'm like, how yeah. did I even get there? Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. so automatic, so yeah. mindless. And, um, yeah. um, and I just... I don't have the time. And yeah. so now I'm, I'm still very active on social media. And if you look at my social media accounts, it looks like I'm really, really active. But you know, I use schedulers and then I have notifications for when anybody interacts with me. I'm right sure. there. I'm, you know, sure. I can be, I'm very accessible. But, yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, this has been a great conversation, Nita. It's a pleasure to meet you and talk with you today. Um, I'm excited for your new book and all your other books. <laughs> like, so I'm going to have to check those out and I'm going to uh, link to all of those in, in the show notes. So everyone can, can take a look. Can they buy through your website? Yes. Yes. There yeah. are buy links there. Um, it's, you know, it's very funny. I asked my editor once to what I should say and she say, you say, your books are available wherever fine books are sold. Yes. Um, so they're, you know, it's traditionally published. So you can get them at Barnes and Noble. You can get them at on Amazon. You can get them on the Mango website. Um, okay. And it doesn't matter to me where you buy them. Okay. It's pretty much all the same. That what what you if you go to my website, you'll see a book buy page with a whole bunch of links to like IndieBound and a okay. bookshop and you know all those kinds of places. So you can pick the place that you want and your local library can get a copy. Um, yeah. You could just, you just ask them to buy a copy and they can buy a copy. Um, it's uh, in fact, it, it's actually available in a lot of libraries already. So it might already be there. The first okay. book, um, not the, the second one's actually a journal. It's like blank pages with author okay. books. So it's meant to be written in. It's not really a, you know, it says in, it. it's, it's instructive because the quotes, some of the quotes are instructive and some of them are inspirational. So um, that's kind of the, the title. People get confused about that for some reasons. Um, that's great. But, yeah, uh, no, yeah. That's good, good to know. And yeah. Um, yeah, so so everyone go check out all of Nita's handles and sign up for her newsletter. And maybe uh, next time when, when your next book comes out, we can have a chat about that. Oh, that would be fantastic. I've really enjoyed this. You ask really good questions. I, oh, I do you. a lot of podcasts and the podcasters make a huge difference. Oh, so thank you so, so much. much just, just appreciate the time. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. For more information about anything we talked about, please check the show notes. This podcast is a project of Goddard Alumni Council. It is produced, hosted, and edited by Amanda Faye Laxon. 
If you are interested in being a guest on the podcast or would like more information, please visit goddardalumni.com slash podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. See you next time.